You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I'm going to work you through a, a, a PowerPoint presentation and um, click... And um, you'll hear me do that. Because, click, there we go. Okay. So anyway, what, what we do, and, and I think it's big enough up here, but we underwrite National Church Starters for two years. Two years, no more. So we want them to be sure to continue to push and build churches and get them independent, autonomous. We, this, this nonsense of Ameri- North Americans supporting churches all over the world for years and years and years and years and years. That, that's, that's stealing from them. It really is. It's stealing from them. We're taking their responsibility and we're not giving it to them. And we need to get back to giving them their responsibility biblically. You don't see this stuff in the New Testament. What you do see is independent churches, independent Baptist churches. I'm sure of that. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, these men are, and these are important words, called. We really make sure about that, that calling. We go over it with them. Called, trained, they're already finished with their schooling. Recommended by those that are interacting with them. Uh, American missionaries, the professors that they have, national professors. We are looking at guys having completed their education. They're fully vetted. When they come to us, they fill out their application. I bring it to my board and we recommend them. They have been through a process and they come highly recommended with the best opportunity, the best chance to get a church started in Latin America. We have 45 autonomous churches already started. Presently, we are supporting 23 men. So at the end of their cycle, that puts us at about 67 churches that we've started. This model works. BMLA streamlines the process of establishing autonomous self-supporting churches with national pastors because we eliminate deputation. That's what I'm doing. I'm the money guy. I'm the guy out here begging for money. I'm begging you for money. I beg churches for... I, I, have, I have absolutely no shame in doing this because it's not for me. I'm supported. I don't go around looking for support for me. I go around looking for support for church starters. The good, the, the, and, and we've put them through the process. This is good stuff, folks. really is. So the template, we find and underwrite the best of the national graduates... Presently in source colleges in Peru, Colombia, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Ecuador, Uruguay, featuring and, and, and future expansion to other countries. Uh, this year, Lord willing, we'll open up Brazil, we'll open up Bolivia, and we'll open up Chile. That's our, that's our goal, Lord willing. And we have people and schools in place to draw men from. We have advisors on the ground, which we lean heavy on them. Click. Uh, and we, we, we want their wisdom and their eyes on what we're doing. So our main strategy is simple. Evangelize strategic cities. We discourage them going into the villages. Now that's just, what's the matter with you? Well, look at the Pauline model in the New Testament. Paul went to the cities. He went to places that could support local churches... And from those places, they branched out. Isn't First Thessalonians great? And from you sounded out the word of God that we need not to say anything. I mean, he, was, he, he had it 
such a vibrant audience. And in these cities, when they got a church together, that church could send out and, and affect their whole region. That's the model we're trying to use. Strategic cities, establishing local churches, and entrusting them to faithful men. Click. So, questions that we needed to have answered. I've been in ministry over 40 years as a senior pastor. Pastored two churches in that time. Had a lot of missionaries come through, calling you up. Hey, pastor, can we come and present at your church? Yeah, don't you get tired of it? No, you should not. I mean, it, uh, bless their hearts, bless their hearts. But I, I've been down that road. I, I understand it. I really do. Now I'm on the other side of it. I'm the beggar. But anyway, the, the, the two questions that we have or that I wrestled with, number one, how do we replace the missionaries coming off the field? There is a huge amount of men coming off the field. My generation are retiring. They are. And retention issues are staggering. They're coming off of the field for all kinds of reasons. I'll show you that in just a moment real quick. The second question is this. And I think this is a fair question. How do we maximize the use of our missions dollars that are available? You do realize we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You do realize that Matthew 25 talks about talents. Luke chapter 19 talks about pennies that were entrusted to the servants. The Lord went away. When he came back, he called them in and called them to give an account. You realize that? Whoa. Don't you want to be one that comes up before the Lord and says, here's 10 pounds. You gave me one. Here's 10 back. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, churches, we, we, we need to be very wise in what we do. ...with the funds that God entrusts to us. So these are two areas that we were click concerned with. Thank you. So, how do we replace missionaries coming off the field? Some sources note that there is a... This is crazy, isn't it? 50% dropout rate among missionaries through the end of their first term. In other words, half of them that start out never make the second term on the field. That's the truth. That, that, that's... That's heartbreaking. It really is. Uh, when I was pastoring in Maryland, we had three guys that we went sent out of our church as missionaries. Only one is on the field today. The other two came back, not because of immorality, not because of change of doctrine, not because they, they quit. Their kids got malaria to the place that they were going to die if they stayed there. I mean, there are legitimate reasons for people coming off the field. There really are. Click. Uh, the last thing that's said there is we have a 90% success rate. Our guys stay on the field. Amen. In fact, the last trip that I was down, just leaving Columbia, one of the young men that we're under ready came up to me and says, Pastor Andy, he says, he says, oops, excuse me. <laughs> Didn't see you down there. Uh, he, said, he said, please tell the people at home that we don't leave. We don't leave. We don't leave when COVID comes. We don't leave when there's insurrection. We don't leave. This is our country. These are our people. These are our churches. I I mean, there's something to that. There there really is. Okay. Reasons for leaving. These are numbers from another agency, very large. You would recognize it if I told you the name of it. I can't because this is how I got the numbers. I don't know why they guard them, but they guard them. They just do. They don't let... Anyway. But look at this. One in five don't complete pre-field. One in five. They start, deputation. They start, but they don't make it. 
Another number that's very interesting to me is the fourth one down, moral. The, um, the, 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 we heard this morning in, in, in church, I was up north, okay, um, a Bible Baptist up in Brookings. And the number was given 70 plus percent of Christian men mess around with pornography. And on the field, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. Because they're propositioned all the time. We've had many, many, many come off the field because of immorality. You ought to be on your knees praying for the men that are on the field, the missionaries, that they stay pure. And the women. The women aren't far behind that, and that's statistic, by the way. That's not, that's not my, these aren't my numbers. This is just, that, that's Barna, I believe, is the one that came out with that. It's, it's craziness. And also today, there's a big change theologically. It's down towards the bottom. But there's a lot of guys moving. A lot of guys moving their theology. And if that's not bad enough, there's a lot of churches that are moving their theology. Yeah. Click. Retention. Again, same agency. If you go through and you would do all the adding up, the blue are the guys coming in, the orange and the green are the guys leaving. You come out with a minus 14 from 2007 to 2018. We're going backwards. 114 units backwards. Backwards. And if you pay any attention at all to the bigger picture in the United States, in Bible colleges and seminaries, they're closing doors. The school I went to, I went to Pillsbury, if anybody knows that. Anybody even know about Pillsbury? Well... Don't worry about it. It's not there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I met my wife at Pillsbury. Um, a good school in its day. The seminary I went to, it's not there anymore. And I could name schools, you know, that, that are closing the door. The reason is that we're having a whole shift, a paradigm shift in churches, where once it used to be to send our kids out. It's the greatest thing in the world. Go to Bible college. See what you can do for Jesus. Now it's go to the local schools or whatever. And if you're going there, I'm not picking on you. I'm really not. But there used to be a try, offer yourself to God and see what he'll do for you. And you can do that anywhere. You really can. But the, the atmosphere was really wonderful when you were in a Christian college and offering yourself to God. Yeah, it really was. And we were seeing a whole lot of people coming to know Christ as their Savior, coming to know Christ as their master in their vocational aspirations. They wanted to serve him. And today we're not seeing that like we used to. There's a real dearth going on. Anyway, click. So our present dilemma, too many pastors and missionaries are retiring or resigning. Too few men are training to replace those retiring or resigning. Struggling retention of those starting in ministry. And because our countries are being closed or expelling North Americans, we have a problem. Some major players in missionary endeavors right now, I'm talking about big mission agencies, are hearing and they are prognosticating that in the next five to ten years, 50 countries are going to expel North American missionaries. They don't want us. They don't want us. And some of that's political, I'm sure. But, I mean, that's not what we're there for. But that's the truth. Anyway, 
uh, the National Church Planner, who is called, trained, recommended, and accountable, is an answer to this present dilemma. Click. We do this work, uh, and we target our guys, depending on where they are, how big their family is, whether it's a big city or out in the hooches, uh, 900 to about 1900 is the span of what it costs us to do a national church start. And that's for two years. And we ethically are bound to them for two years. And when churches partner with us, I ask them to ethically be bound to us for two years. After that, they don't like the program, leave. They like the program, stay. No harm, no foul to your commitment. It seems to work really well with uh, something that's new. You know, let's see what we can do with this for two years. In the video, it said 16 to 1. Uh, we've reduced that to 14 to 1. I think that's a better, that's, that's probably a more practical number. But it covers ministry needs, building, rental, pastoral support, food, housing. The needs of these people to go into entry-level church starting. And their, 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 their church is supported for two years. Click. That's a good slide. I can stay all day on that one. <laughs> With the national pastor, the overall process is the same. Click, 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 click. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we expect the call. We spend time on the call. You know that? We really do. I'll talk to you about that in a few moments. But we, we want these guys to have a calling. Some of the best writers that are going on in missions work right now are saying the reason they're coming off the field so much is they go with good intentions. They, quote, unquote, they surrender to missions but they've never been called to missions. And there's a difference between the two. There truly is. They have a good heart. They want to go. But then when the problems come, if they aren't called, then they too often leave. I'm being honest, okay? And that's a big deal. It really is. It really is. The training, is, it's all done. The funding, I'm doing that. The language, they know. The culture, it's theirs. The evangelism, it's part of the qualifications that we have before we'll ever underwrite them. How can you start a church if you can't lead a soul to Christ? Yeah. Make sense? Right. I mean, we're, we're, that's part of it. And then the organization of the church with the national pastor. Click. Strategic missions. So we're proposing a new model. Not just where we've been, the traditional, but where we're going to fill in these holes. It's not to replace the calling of our own. We ought to be on our knees begging God to send laborers out of our own churches to the field. It's great commissional Christianity. That's biblical. Our young people ought to be trained and encouraged and, and held up high when they, when they are, are, are convinced that God is calling them to the field. We ought to do that. That ought to be part of every aspect of our local churches. It, it just should be inter, inter, integrated into their Sunday school program, into their music, into everything. Yep. And, and when a church has a missions conference, don't let it get old, folks. That's what our, it's all about. Right. We're here as an instrument to get this out, you know, and take it to the, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Yep. That's us. It's a great commission. We invest, and our, our investments eliminate the time it takes. There's no language school. The training is already done before we get our hands on them. The culture, it's theirs. The cost, well, I'm doing that. That's why we're traipsing all over the United States like a bunch of gypsies. We love it too, by the way. We do. We absolutely love it. Anyway, um, we do the, 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 the fundraising for these guys, and then it reduces the dropout rate. I wish you could see these people on the field. I really do. 
Latin America is hot right now for the gospel. They love Jesus. They'll have meetings. They'll have an evangelistic meeting. They'll get their people out in the road with signs that go right across the whole road. And they'll hold them up until the stoplight changes. And then when the traffic starts going the other way, they'll back it up. And then all the people coming this way will see them. And the stoplight changes and they'll go back. It's, it's wild. They, 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 reckless abandonment. You know what I'm saying? They love Jesus. And that's what they're doing. It reduces the dropout rate and we go right to the trained recommended national church starter. Click. So eliminating all those things, they evangelize and they organize the church. That's what they're there for. That's what we want to support. That's what we're interested in. Click. Two years, click. So how it works is churches partner. They invest and we start churches. We use Central Missionary Clearinghouse as our investment agent. Uh, it's, a, it, it's our funding accountability and we, through them, get monies to our national pastors. Let me t- stop here for a moment, because we're talking about money. You ought to have some questions. Let me answer them before you ask them. When they fill out an application to join with us, we ask them to fill out a budget. We tell them that the area they're going to, we want the mean income of the area that they're going to. And you build a budget around that income. Now, you have worked for two years. We're guaranteeing you work for two years. In two years with evangelism, we expect that you will have enough families led to Christ, discipled, and now giving and propagating the gospel so that when we stop, there's enough income that it's a smooth transition. All the monies that they make in offerings, we encourage them to save. While they're coming up. We underwrite them 100% for two years. Makes sense? That's not true. We underwrite them 90% for two years. 90? It just went from 100 to 90. What's up? 10% they have to raise. They have to raise it from the national churches around them. Two reasons. Maybe more, but at least two. It gets participation from local churches that are around them. They, they, they have skin in the game. Make sense? They want to see their men win success. So they put activity, prayer, people, materials into that work. The other reason, there is another reason. What? Accountability. Accountability. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Brain. You know what? My brain has to work so hard to. To keep me looking as handsome as I do. <laughs> and once in a while, it just forgets things. Yeah, accountability, I'm sorry. That, that was the next part. But accountability, you think about it. Um, not only do they help, but it holds them accountable. And uh, that 10% investment by the nationals around them is a 10% skin in the game to hold them accountable. Let's go to another thing before I look like a bigger fool than I already do. But <laughs> the process, go ahead. Uh, We have advisors we pull out of the colleges. Click. We have an application. Click. We have an interview that I do when I'm there or else I do it by uh, Skype or by Zoom or under WhatsApp. Uh, If you do anything with Latin America, WhatsApp is on your phone. Uh, Click. Monthly reports that they submit. We put out a monthly newsletter. If you stop by our table, wherever it is out there somewhere, um, we have monthly newsletters. You're welcome to look at them, take them. 
uh, read them. We have a, a page you can sign up for them if you would like to get them digitally and pray for us. We'd really appreciate that. We can't get enough prayer time on these on, uh, from God's people. We, we want to see this grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Click local, uh, local prayer and encouragement and support. Click annual on-site visits. That's my job to go to the field. I was out of country seven times last year and in about 40 churches. So yeah, we, we've been a little busy. Click and we go directly to the project, and that's click the national pastor. Uh, click, let's go to the next slide. Here we go. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So our, our, our logo is sort of simple. Join the journey, not just where we've been. That's traditional missions. We need to keep doing it. It's not like eliminate it, but there's something else out there now. There's another option where we're going. Thank you for your time, your consideration. It's a great strategic investment of missions dollars, that it is, and it's the best of our resources to complete biblically the greatest task set before us. That's great commissional Christianity. That's church starting to the uttermost parts of the world. This model won't work everywhere, but where there are schools that have been started, it works wonderfully. It truly does. And in Latin America, we've been there. We've been there for more than decades. We've been there for over a century ministering and developing and starting churches and starting colleges. This is ripe for what we're doing. And, and it just makes sense. It really, really does. So, yeah, let's stop it there. I have 15 minutes. Let me give you some devos, okay? Let me get in the word. But this is what Joe and I do. We go around and we, we invite churches to partner with us to join us, join the journey. And as that happens, some churches give as little. Uh, I don't mean this bad. I just want to show you the, this, how thankful we are. We have a church that gives us $25 a, a quarter. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. I truly am. I, I really am. Uh, we have churches that underrate whole guys. Say we want a man and we'll, we'll underwrite him. And we have five, six churches that do that. They have the resources, they have the, the, the burden, and the, they see the vision, and they do that. We have some entities that are underwriting several church starters. I can't tell you how humbled I am, and I can't tell you how great God is. We are seeing some wonderful things happen. Well, let me take you into um, Acts chapter 11 and 13. I want to go to both chapters. You'll see why in a moment. But I want to show you a couple of things about the men God uses and then the church that God uses. Okay? Before I hit the word, can I pray with you? Yes, sir. Father, it's your word. It's your time to speak to our hearts. Now all the method has been laid out for what we do. And we're thankful for it. And we're thankful for the results for you. But Lord, here's, here's the meat. Here, here's, here's the meat that will make us wise to service. And make us wise in our salvation to you, word. So bless it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Acts 13, as most of you know, is the pivotal chapter in the Bible where we start to see missions. The word mission isn't in the Bible, right, missionary? It's not in the Bible. So we have put that label on people that go out and start churches. And the classic place that it started where we see the people and the local church meet the Holy Spirit and get then sending them out is Acts chapter 13. But there's a couple things that happen before Acts 13 
that we would be wise to think about. And some of this, well, it breaks down simply into these two points. I want to look at the men that God uses for missions. And I'm not a sexist, but the truth is, missionaries that plant churches and teach, teach pastors are men. They're men. So I'm not, I want to look at these men. And these are, these are the qualities that we can all instill in our men and our young men. You know? You know, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So after that, after the men, I want to look at the church. And, and I, I've, I've never been in a perfect church. This one must be close to it because your pastor is almost there, yeah? <laughs> well, he's the right height, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sorry for you big guys. <laughs> in heaven, you're going to shrink. I just want you to know that. Just get ready. <laughs> anyway. Um, when God was shaping up this prototype for missions, all right, he, he, used, a, he used certain figures. And he, he calls them by name in Acts chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 1. I mean, he lists these five guys. Now, two of those five guys we see back in Acts chapter 11. And the, Acts 11 is the intro, the, the foundation for Acts 13. If you don't go to Acts 11, you're missing some of, the, some of the, the foundational elements of Acts 13. So, in looking at two of these five men, it's going to be Barnabas and Saul. If I call him Paul, give me a break, okay? I sound like somebody else. I know. Give me a break. Anyway, uh, I forget I said that. Anyway, um, these two guys are gems, Let's pick it up in uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Let me show you this. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, Acts chapter 7, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. There was still an issue of who gets the word of God, and that's going to be settled in Acts 15 for good. But until then, there's still debate on it in the, in the churches that, that were in Asia Minor. Verse 20. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, Hellenistic Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them. Look at this next phrase. Isn't this wonderful? And a great number believed and turned on to the Lord. You know, when I read stuff like that, when I read First Thessalonians and the account there... I see these people just going, uh, you know, uh, this reckless abandonment for Jesus. I say, we can do that. We can still do that. We have the ability. We live in a time, and we can do that. Well, here a lot of people are getting saved, but, you know, just a couple of verses more, we're going to see this happen again. Verse 22. Tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Who? When he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Now look at this next verse. We're talking about the men that God uses. For he was a, what, good man. Can we be good people? Obviously it's a rhetorical question. 
And if you're struggling with the answer, the answer is yes, we can. We can be good people. We can. And, and the next phrase, full of the Holy Ghost. Can we, if you're saved, and, and, and this is a little theology here, but that's okay. If you're saved, I want to tell you something. You have as much Holy Ghost as you're ever going to get. Now, what are you doing with him? That's the question. It's not praying more. It's getting out of the way more. And letting the Holy Ghost work through us so that we can be empowered in knowledge and in boldness proclaiming the Lord Jesus. I mean, isn't that what his job is? They were good men. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and of faith. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? That you even stop and think about this. Well, of course we are people of faith. That's why we're here. Do you know we have diminished the word faith to mean attendance at a local church? That's terrible. We need faith that is alive and active. It, it, it's out there. It, it, it takes what we have and it demonstrates it. it, it it's powered and empowered by God himself. And it produces results. I want to tell you something. You're not here tonight, but by the faith of someone telling you about Jesus. And you exercising faith in the word. And the Spirit convicting you, and you bowing the knee and saying, Jesus, I want you to forgive me. You're my substitute. You died where I should have. You paid what I should have paid. And you offer me grace to be saved forevermore, my sins forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. Man, I want to tell you something. I was 24 when I got saved. And when... 2 Corinthians 5, when it says old things pass away and all things become new. I want to tell you something. This, this, this wicked, <laughs> old things passed away and all things become new. And that happens. It's still happening today, folks. Verse 21, great number believed. Verse 24, much people were added. We can do this. It's still available. Good, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with faith. And notice something else. I want to show you this. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for the seek Saul. When he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass a whole year. They assembled themselves with the church. They taught much people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. A few things here. They assembled with the church a year. They were involved in the local church. And they ministered. And they discipled. And too often we're seeing people getting saved and then we're leaving them alone and we aren't getting around them and growing them, helping them to grow. We need to disciple them. And we need to spend that time and encouraging. Let me ask you a question. What part, okay, what part in your church are you doing to disciple someone? I've seen the little kids, they came up to the table in here. They need disciplers, mentors. Young men need, young boys in that need men to teach them how to be men. 
not woke. And ladies need to be taught how to be ladies. And, and that's not just prissy, but, but that's, that, that, that's those who are, are, are willing to serve and willing to be content where God has put them. Contentment is a missing element in so many churches today. And it's one of the reasons that we're seeing so many guys coming off the field. is because there's no contentment. We're taking a, a North American couple, young couple, and throwing them into a second world or third world culture. And they, they, they don't know how to deal with it. We, we, have one of, we have one of our House of Representative women who didn't know what a garbage disposal was. How about sweeping a dirt floor? You know, it's easy, to, it's easy to say what's the matter with you and name the person. But what about those that have to go and sweep a dirt floor? Go into a different culture. Uh, I, I mean, we, we can do things for that. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying sell your house and live in a house with dirt floor. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, what if? Dear friend of mine, Minister for 15 plus years in Ukraine. And guess what? He had to leave everything he had over there. He loves those people. They're his people. He's over in Georgia now. Ministering over in Georgia. This, the, the country of Georgia. But to, to be able to walk away from everything you have. Carrying a suitcase. Are you ready to do that? Are you teaching your kids to do that? And do you think that maybe... Do you think that we're so secure that that couldn't happen here? I hear there's balloons flying around. Uh, whatever. That's the men. Let me, I have a couple more minutes. Let me take you to the church. Let's go over to Acts 13. Acts 13, it starts out and takes a look at this wonderful church in Antioch. That's seeing these people getting saved. That's seeing Paul and Barnabas ministering there in that church for a year. And this is what it says. Now there were in the church, that's the local church again, brings it right to our attention, that was in Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, proclaimers and disciples. We could use those terms because that's exactly what they were doing. They were, prof, pro, they were speaking out. They were putting out the word of God and then they were discipling those that heard. That's what they were doing. And, and, and it lists them, the five of them. Uh, Barnabas and Simeon, and this called Niger, and Lucius and Serenia, and Manahan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now the next phrase is very important. As they ministered. These were people that didn't want the limelight. They were, they were the best that was in the church. They were those that God decided to name in his word. They will be there forever. And these are the guys that are known as the ministers. Let me ask you a question. Our culture teaches us that we should be ministered onto. But God teaches us that we should minister. Can I ask a question? Who are you ministering to? This is your church. This is where you get to show Christ on a very regular basis. 
This is where the kids see the adults. This is where the newbies in Christ see the oldbies in Christ. <laughs> Are you ministering? I mean, that's what they were doing. That's what this church was doing. And, and they were noted for that. And he goes on and says this. They ministered, and their motive is clear, to the Lord. Isn't that neat? It didn't just say, and they ministered, period. They ministered, and here's why. They ministered to the Lord. Their motive was pure. I guess I could, I'll, I'll ask a couple questions. I'll just ask them about me. You can follow along and jump in if you want to. But, counterman, are your motives ministering to the Lord or is it some other thing? Well, Lord, I hope that's it, that I'm here ministering to you. Yeah. Now, if that it resonates with any of you, you know, join in. But, you, you, know, you know where I'm going with that. I, I don't have to ask. Or maybe I do, but I won't. But I could. <laughs> anyway. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. You know when they came back and reported to the church and as they were making uh, ordaining elders in the, in the churches that they started, they fasted and prayed again. Here in these two, three verses, um, and actually it's in these two verses, verse 2 and verse 3, two times they are praying and one time they are fasting. You know what's interesting? Actually, it's two times they're fasting and one time they're praying. Uh, th this is a lost skill in Christianity. It, it is. I, I don't want to tell you how to do it. Pastor can do that. You can get into a theological discussion with him, and I'm sure he'll welcome it and say, thanks a lot, counterman. But anyway, <laughs> but seriously, I, I, wonder, I wonder if we aren't sort of like James. We have not because we ask not. Oh, well, I ask a lot of things to the Lord. But maybe it's the way that we're asking. Maybe this fasting has something to do with gaining God's ear. Now, I understand he's all present. I, I understand that. But I wonder, there, there's an element about fasting that God appreciates and God blesses. I, I, I wonder, I wonder, when was the last time I do this in churches? I, I, I'm, I should almost be ashamed of myself, but I'm not. When was the last time, Pastor, you had a bunch of people come to you and say, Pastor, I'm convinced that our church needs to fast. I have yet to have a pastor come to me and say, you know, I had that happen to me three times last week. <laughs> no, it's something we don't do in our culture that God does a lot in his culture, you know? And maybe, maybe we would have a bit more power in our prayer life. Maybe we would be a bit more positioned as a church if we would couple prayer and fasting. Now, you work that one out. I'm out of time. But you, there's something about that. There, there just is. So here they are. And, and as they ministered, verse 2, to the Lord, motive, and fasted, part of their prayer life, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. They were called. And when they had fasted and prayed... They laid their hands on them. They validated the ministry. By the way, that validated the calling. My, I, I, I believe that with all my heart. Oh, pastor, I'm called to the Lord. Well, are you validated by the local church? It's part of the calling. And if the church can't put their hand on you, then you, you better re-examine what you're hearing. Because there's something wrong. Anyway, they laid their hands on them and then they sent them away. Folks... These were the best the church had. 
Let me make it real practical and then I'm going to close. Are you willing to send the best that you have to the field? Let me identify the best that you have. It could be one of those two sitting right there. It could be one of those two sitting right back there. Or three. Or one. Or one. Or a whole row. Or one. I'm not suggesting this. I'm not trying to give you pastor ideas. But I am trying to say, church, the head of this church is Jesus Christ. And if Jesus wants someone or many, then don't stand in his way. It's his. And everything is fair game to our Lord Jesus. And when we start thinking that way, we position ourselves for the Spirit of God to speak and to move in our midst and to do great things with the likes of us. Isn't it amazing? But he does that. And that's our God. So I'm going to pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.